0: You can pick up your phone or turn on your television and find all kinds of people saying all kinds of frightening things. It's easy to live in constant fear. But listen to Hanali Gronwald. Her husband and children were martyred in Afghanistan. Hanali could be easily tempted to fear for her future, but she's choosing faith instead.
1: I know God's with me. I've experienced Him. I know He's real. And I think if we live in fear, God's not maybe that real for us. So we have to get to the point where we really believe what God's character is and that He is really the God that He says in His word He is.
0: Jesus never
1: promised His followers an easy path. In fact, He told His disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs radio network.
0: Last week we were introduced to Hannah Lee Gronwald, who followed God's call to Afghanistan with her husband Werner and her children Roday and Jean-Pierre. When we left off, she had just realized that there was an attack in her home in Kabul while she was working in her job at a medical clinic. If you missed any of last week's program, I want to encourage you, go to VOMRadio.net and listen to the first half of that interview with Hannah Lee. Let's pick the story back up. Hannah Lee wouldn't have normally worked on that particular day, but she was called into the clinic Because there had been reports that there would be a terrorist attack.
1: I was supposed to be at home, and that's the big thing for me, why I struggled to accept that I didn't die that day. I wanted to die with my family. I wanted to be there to hold my children because they were not with Vanner when the attack took place. Vanner was downstairs and they were upstairs. But it was like kind of a normal day. And 4 o'clock when I went off duty, when we were in the car and the driver took me home, we received this call and our office manager telling the driver that there's been an attack on our home and office. and But he didn't elaborate on that. So at that stage, I still didn't think it was so serious. And immediately I phoned Vanner and he didn't answer his phone. Then I phoned the children's phones, and they also didn't answer. And at that stage, I thought, okay, in the rush, they went downstairs to the basement and forgot their phones. Um, So I immediately thought, okay, this is more serious. And I still continued to try to phone them, but no answer. And then it was the traffic, and it was difficult to get through the traffic, and I think that was the longest drive for me to my home ever. And then when we got in the street, I saw that the streets were blocked off And I was not even allowed into our street. But it was this death silence, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand because I was used to any attack. I mean, there were bombs and grenades, explosions and um, gunfire, and there was nothing. It was just silence.
0: Was this something that you guys kind of practiced? I mean, did you have like safety drills and attack drills and, you know, here's where we're going to go or here's how we'll connect up afterwards? Did you do stuff like that because you lived in— In a place like Afghanistan?
1: There was always a plan, kind of, for when there's an earthquake, you know what, you should do this, you should go outside. When there's an attack, go to the basement. And just a few months prior to the attack, there was a big attack close to our house, and some of our friends were involved in that. And... We went downstairs and I took the children's hands. Vander wasn't there. He was in India at that stage. And we just prayed for the people. But never we felt threatened that something was going to happen to us. And in a way, until the day of the attack, I always felt, you know, nothing's going to happen to us. Uh, we will be okay. And even the day of the attack, when I did not know what was going on and I was standing there in the street, I still had the faith that nothing happened to my family and they were, are alive. They're just hiding downstairs.
0: So. What what did the police or what did the soldiers say to you? What, what Did, did they tell you what was going on or, or were you just kind of trying to figure it out on your own?
1: No one actually told me what was going on. They didn't allow me in the street and there was just all these journalists and they were taking pictures of me and they wanted interviews with me and I just said, stop, I don't know what's going on. And no one wanted to tell me what was going on because they also didn't know.
0: So at some point they took you into one of your neighbor's house and and basically left you there as i understand it. Yes. What was going on in your mind and in your heart?
1: I know that i was just reading psalm 91 over and over and over again.
0: Psalm 91 begins, "He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my god in him i will trust."
1: When i read the psalm over and over again and prayed over that, a peace came over me, and it's actually something I cannot describe. And I believed that they were still alive, but I believe that the Lord's in control. Another worker phoned me, and she said, where are you? Only uh, I want to come to you. And she sounded kind of hysterical, and I thought, what on earth is going on with this lady? And I told her where I were, and then other workers came, other missionaries came to me, and... Then these guys, I knew them very well. And they said, Hundley this is going to be the longest night of your life. And I said, why? What's wrong? Who got injured? I really believed until the end that nothing happened. And then he told me, you know, all three of them are dead. Um, So that was like, I just sat there and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. No emotion, nothing. I just sat there. And and then we just gathered our stuff and um, they were in tears and I wasn't. But it was just too much information for me to, to handle at that stage. So they took me to their home and gave me some tea, and I still just sat there, and I couldn't believe that was surreal. I mean, that's just too huge for any brain, human brain, to to comprehend.
0: So at, at what point did it start to dawn on you, I'm a widow, my, my children have been killed, my husband has been killed, how did— how did that start to sink in?
1: I think through the night I realized actually what was going on and I cried a bit but not that much but I was so overwhelmed because it was not my NGO and it's dangerous for people to come from abroad and close down the NGO and I didn't know how to do that so I just followed but God had this wonderful thing of people taking the lead and helping me through this, other missionaries that came and helped me and we, we closed down the NGO. We did what was needed to be done. I went to identify the bodies. I went to the house to see whether there was anything that I could retrieve. And there wasn't. Um,
0: One of the things, and for our listeners who are listening, we're, we're speaking with Hanalee Gronwald. Her husband and her children were killed in Afghanistan. As a part of the attack, the Afghan military fired rocket-propelled grenades into your house to fight the attackers. But what ultimately happened is the house burned. Basically, everything inside the house burned, including your documents, your travel documents, your papers, everything, except one thing. the the Tell us where the fire stopped, because I think this is a little piece of God's hand at work.
1: Yes. The fire stopped in front of John Pierre's room, and the two children's bodies were lying in his room.
0: And, and I've seen the pictures of the rest of the house. It, it looks like a war zone. I mean, it looks yes. like a fireplace, but th- his Everything room did not ashes. burn. Yes, the fire stopped.
1: Just stopped in front of his room, and it felt to me like Daniel in the fiery furnace. And God really wanted to protect their bodies for me to take home to South Africa to repatriate, and for them to keep be buried in South Africa.
0: And I think of that as one of God's blessings to you. You had been reading Psalm ninety-one about safety and God is my rock and God is protecting me. Did you ever feel like, wait a minute, God, it, it says that you're protecting us and here my family's been killed. Did, did you ever have that sense of, God, how could you let this happen?
1: I think it's, it's normal for every person to have those questions, but I didn't want to dwell on that. I didn't want to dwell on why, Lord, because you will really, ble- you will bleed to death. You will not get the answers. So what I've learned instead is to ask, what now? And What do you want me to learn from this? And how should I proceed from this? But of course, yes. When I hear testimonies of people that have been rescued from danger, for a moment, it just goes into my mind, Lord, why didn't you protect my family? But, you know, we all have to go. We cannot stay on this earth forever. And... God had a reason why he allowed this to happen. I don't have the answers to that. I know it was not in his plan for them to be killed. I know that Satan came and stole my family, but God allowed it for a reason. It's not for me to question that. And I accept that I had to stay behind. I will never get all these answers, but I believe God is sovereign and he is in control. And that's a wonderful thing to have because it's so easy to stray and to think, okay, God's not in control, but he is.
0: At first, and you said in, in some of the press reports afterwards that you wish you would have been there. You wish you would have died at the same time they did. Talk a little bit about that, and and do you still feel that way? Do you still think, man, I wish I was in heaven with my family?
1: I think the most difficult thing for me was to get to terms uh, with the way my children died. The children were killed upstairs where they were alone with AK-47 rifles. So they were mutilated, their bodies, and I just wanted to be there in the last moments while they were waiting because Vanya was attacked downstairs first. So they knew what was happening downstairs and they were waiting for their turn. So my mother heart wanted to be there with them, especially with the children, to just cover them and die with them. Um, I'm not suicidal. But I really, I told the Lord I'm ready to die as a martyr for him before the attack happened. And it's strange that he took my family and I stayed behind. Um, And now the challenge is not to die for Christ, but to stay alive for him Mm -hmm. and for his purposes.
0: Talk about how God carried you through those days. You you mentioned in the room, as you're reading Psalm 91, you just sensed God, God's here. Yes, yes. Talk me through the next few days. Were there some specific moments where you felt that again, that, hey, I'm God and I'm here, I'm with you, I'm carrying you, I'm, I've got this, talk a little bit about that.
1: It was as if I was in uh, cotton wool. My brain was numb, numb, and I couldn't think clearly. And it was a peace, a peace that supports all understanding. I was never hysterical, I was never anxious, I just did what was supposed to be done.
0: Did you have anger? I mean, did you feel angry at the Taliban or angry at Afghanistan or or hatred for Muslims or any of that or none?
1: Never. No hatred for Muslims. I really feel sorry for them because I know they did not know what they were doing. They are living such a lie. You, You can actually just pray for them. I just see them as being chained and they're not free. They're not free. And just to pray for them still, so that God will show them the real way to eternal life.
0: Just I just think of the miracle of of that instantaneous forgiveness and love. Is I, I'm thinking of some of our listeners who have maybe been through a very hard situation or someone has hurt them in a deep way. What would you say to them about coming to that point of, of being able to forgive?
1: Forgiveness is really not just one Once-off thing. It is a process. I started with a forgiveness process when I had to embalm my own family because the Afghan doctors didn't want to do that, and I was afraid that they would decompose. And the Afghan doctors that were with me there, they were amazed that I was standing there calmly and helping them to embalm my family. And I told them, you know, I've forgiven the Taliban because I didn't know what they were doing. In Islam, it's like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There's nothing like forgiveness. But if you hang on to forgive, uh, unforgiveness, you cling to being the judge of that person. But just by forgiving a person, you release your judgment on the person to God because God is actually our real judge. I, I explain it to people like this. If you are clinging to unforgiveness, you are drinking the poison and you're waiting for that person to die. And it's never going to happen because he's eating at you and not that person. Many times that person doesn't even know that you've got this bitterness towards him or her. So the best thing is just to forgive and give it over to God and just release that by that person.
0: And, and as you share, there is a great freedom in that. Uh, there's a For great sure. freedom of not carrying that with you. In the days afterwards, what's the thing that, that you remember the most
1: Back in South Africa, I was totally overwhelmed there as well um, with the funeral arrangements and with the media. And everyone just wanted to know what was going on, how I was feeling, church wanting to support me as well. There were just too many people in my life at that stage. And that happened for about a year after the attack. There were just too many people in my life. And I tried to answer every Facebook message, every WhatsApp, every um, email that was sent. And that consumed my life. In a way, that helped as well, you know, to keep busy and not ponder on all these negative things. But uh, I just wish so much for peace and quiet in my life.
0: What did it mean to you during those days to know that people were praying for you? Because one of the things we always challenge our listeners to do is to pray for Christians who are going through hard times and going through persecution. What did it mean to know I'm being lifted up literally around the world? I, I don't know if you knew at the time People all over the world are praying for me.
1: Yes, the news reached me, even while being in Afghanistan. And
0: what did that mean?
1: You know, people should never cease to pray when something like this happens. Because God, He works when we pray. And this helped me, it sustained me. And just the knowledge of people praying for me helped me through this. And people didn't just pray. They contacted me, as I said, you know, it was overwhelming. But in a way, it helped me to survive. So whenever something like this happens and God puts it on your heart to pray for people, even send them messages, do that.
0: What was the response back home, especially I'm thinking of the people like your parents who were hesitant when you moved there or maybe even said, no, 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 don't go there. What? What was their response when you came home after the attack?
1: It was difficult because I had to face this alone. My parents still have a big problem with this. And in a way, I think they have to forgive us. Although we didn't do wrong, we answered God's calling. But my parents, they lost their only two grandchildren. And for them, it's a big thing. So my mom... She still struggles to come to terms with what happened and to forgive. And I have to hear that. Yes, you went, and now we've lost our two grandchildren. And that's very hard for me because I know we've been obedient. But everyone else are really supportive, and my parents were supportive as well. Don't you me wrong here, but they have issues as well, and they have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for them.
0: You've talked about the fact that, that God selected you to stay here. Has he given you some, some insights as to why, as to what he has for you or what he wants to accomplish through you because you're still here and, and can share about the story?
1: I just knew from the beginning. I didn't know what God's plan with me was for the future. The only thing that I knew was I had to share my testimony, and that's what I did up to now. And I really believe that it can help people— That go through the same same thing, just to support them and to give them maybe a little bit of guidance. Yeah, to sort out the troubles in their lives and to get healing. So I believe God's got a purpose. I want to go back to the medical career. And I've got so many gifts and talents and love that I can still pour out on people. And I don't know why God decided actually that I should stay behind because Vander was the stronger one. He was the one that did the job, actually. I was the support for him. The support stayed behind, and the the big one, the big guy, he he (laughs) let him go. But he's got his reasons, and I know that I've got lots to still pour out on people, and I just want to live my life, my life purpose. Everyone's got a life purpose, and I had to find a new life purpose again and start with a new life completely from scratch and i can do it i can finish this race
0: there's a verse in 1st Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 that says i do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope how do you grieve differently and i think you mentioned it even with the afghan doctors as you're working on the bodies of your family, how do you grieve differently because you have hope?
1: You know, in worldly terms, people expect you to mourn one to two years, maybe three years because I've lost three people. So many people say three years. And that's a terribly long time to stay in that state of grief. For me, it's a godly grief thing and God has helped me to be healed. Today I can say that I've been healed and I believe that I've been healed even before a year after the attack. Yes, the memories will always be there. Sometimes you will cry, but you can carry on with life. So I'm grieving differently in the fact that I, don't crumb- I didn't crumble. I didn't go and sit in the corner and feel sorry for myself. You have to be cautious that 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 doesn't happen to you, that you don't cling to death. If you grieve in a worldly way, you will sit in that corner until you feel better. And God just helped me out of that. But you know what? It's a wonderful thing. I've just lost contact with them. I'll see them again. This life is not all there is. We just lost contact for a little while and I will see them again soon. And I think if you have got that eternal perspective that we are not going to live forever, No one on this earth is going to live forever. We have to go sometime. When you stay behind, just run this race with dignity and shower people with your blessings and love, God's love.
0: You're listening to Voice of the Martyrs Radio and we're speaking with Hanali Gronwald. Uh, She is a medical doctor and was a missionary in Afghanistan. Her family was martyred there. Hanali, you talk about the hope of, of seeing your family again. How do you think about heaven differently now than you did before November 29th, 2014?
1: Before the attack, heaven was heaven. I mean, but now my people are there. My family there. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I get there one day, I think they will tell me, Mom, welcome to heaven. What took you so long to get here?
0: <laughs> you know, Hanali, in America right now, I, I think there is a Sort of an epidemic of fear among Christians. We look at our country, you know, the Supreme Court makes a ruling we don't like, maybe the elections go how we don't want them to go. And I sense that Christians are fearful about the future. How would you encourage them, as somebody who's lived through, I I think, if from an earthly perspective, you've lived through the worst thing that any of us could go through, how would you help us to not be fearful?
1: You know, as I said before, FEAR is the acronym for me, for future events appearing real. And what I can say today is, you know, if you really believe in God and his character, that he's a loving God and that he's your helper and your provider, he will not just create us and just dump us on earth and say, okay, now you have to live your own life and make your own thing. He's there for us and we can talk to him and we can bring our concerns to him. And he said, cast all your cares on me. I'm looking after you. You're loved by me as God. And if you can believe that, all that fear will, will disappear. So for me, I I don't have anxiety about the future. I know God's with me. I've experienced him. I know he's real. And I think if we live in fear, God's not maybe that real for us. So we have to get to the point where we really believe what God's character is and that he is really the God that he says in his word he is. And also we can live victorious if we know what God thinks about us, that we are his children and that we are saints and that we are anointed and and walking in his favor. He's full of joy uh, about his children. So I think if you have that perspective of who God really is and what he thinks about us and that he will never dump us and all his promises are true in the word that He that he's there for us. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. That's uh, Tomorrow, that's the things that wealthy people are concerned about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so I live for God's kingdom and I know I don't have to worry about anything.
0: And all these things will be added to it. Those things come afterwards. Hanali. one more question, and I thank you for your gracefulness in, in sharing your story with us. How can we pray for Afghanistan? We want to equip our listeners to pray. How should we pray for that nation?
1: You know, after the attack, many people fled the country, and the church, the people that were bold to worship in groups, they just went underground again. And when I looked back, I thought, Afghanistan is now so barren. Lord, was it really worth it? And I think while we can pray, I hear that there are many people coming to the Lord now, many new believers, and we can just pray that the Lord will really use the martyr's blood, um, not just my family, but all the martyr's blood, uh, martyr's blood that, that has flown before to bring in the harvest because that's a seed for the church. And that the church will just rise again from the ashes and, you know, bring forth a harvest. And that there will be lots of workers that will go back because many people fled, even foreigners that left the country, that people will go back again. And that there will be people that will equip others to just build a church.
0: And finally, how can we pray for you?
1: For myself, in a way, yes, I want to testify, but I have to carry on with my life. And for me, my medical career is waiting. And because I've been in Afghanistan for so many years, there are things that I have to touch upon. And I want to go back not just to the former medicine, but to doing integrated holistic medicine. So I have to do some new courses. And I just want to find my feet again in the medical world. I want people to pray for me for for that purpose and also for the book that I'm writing, that God will show me what he wants me to write down there and that it will be a book of encouragement and hope for people. So that's for my book and for the medical career and whatever God has got in store for my future, which I don't know at the moment, only he knows. But that I will not be discouraged. Sometimes I am. I'm just a human person. So yes, that he will just guide me and that I will hear his voice clearly.
0: Amen. Honalee Gronwald, thank you so much for your testimony. Thank you for your bold faith, uh, and thank you for being willing to share the even the hard parts of your story today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I'm so thankful for Honalee's transparency in sharing her story with us here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Lots has happened in her life since we recorded this conversation with Hanalee, and I want to share just a couple of updates with you. She moved back to South Africa after leaving Afghanistan, and since we had this conversation, she has remarried. She's also published a book called Tragedy in Kabul. You can find the book on Amazon, or we'll give you a link when you look in the show notes for this episode at our website, vomradio.net. Also, I'd appreciate it if you would take a few moments to rate and review this podcast. Wherever it is that you're listening, that's a great way to help us reach new listeners with the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters. You can also help us reach new listeners by sharing this episode with a Christian friend and with your pastor. Maybe you just want to text a link to them right now. You can also give financially to support VOM's work helping persecuted Christians providing Bibles, and supporting frontline ministry, simply click on the Donate tab at the top of vomradio.net, or you can go directly vomradio.net slash donate. Thank you for taking the time to listen this week. I hope you'll join our conversation again next week to hear more stories of the faithfulness of persecuted Christians and the amazing things God is doing in hostile and restricted nations. All of that right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Podcast Network.